We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're plugged in here to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Alan Dempsey does our engineering each weekend. Always good at what he does. And Andrew Herdliska is our our producer. Uh, Dr. Tom Phillips joins us in this first segment. Uh, He's in Charlotte, North Carolina, vice president of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, executive director of the Billy Graham Library. And if you haven't seen it, folks, in Charlotte, uh, make sure uh, you pack that into your travels one day. And we're going to talk to Tom about igniting your passion for Jesus. Uh, Tom, welcome. How are you? Pat, thank you. It's great to be with you and the listeners today. Explain to us this program called Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. Where did all that come from? Uh, Most people understood the value of Billy Graham as the great evangelist, but he also had an incredible heart for true spiritual awakening, the word revival. Mm -hmm. And uh, my privilege to serve with him as his crusade director for years and years. And Mr. Graham, if you go to the Billy Graham Library, you'll see him early on in 1949 saying, I'm praying for an old-fashioned, Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that would sweep our nation from coast to coast. And then when he was 93, we were videoing him for um, the My Hope series. He said the same thing. And then in his latter years, when he had one ministry, and that was prayer, he said, I'm praying for an old-fashioned Holy Ghost, heaven-sent revival that would sweep America from coast to coast. My heart early on was surgery. I wanted to use the uh, pulpit uh, or the platform of medicine to share Christ with others and care for people. And then one day God spoke to me and said, what's more important, helping a man and woman have quality of life for 70 years or helping a man and woman have life eternal And as I was in seminary, the Lord, in his inimitable way, spoke again and said, I called you for the awakening of the church, revival. So revival is the time when God sees fit. It's not something we organize like we do at BGEA. It's his organization to come down and visit men and women of his church whenever they need him the most, when it's the darkest. And so uh, this particular book is actually subtitled, Your Guide to Experience Personal Revival, and uh, it'll hit the uh, market on December the 3rd. So it's really a call to the men and women of God's kingdom in America to renew, reset, or be restored to Jesus in intimacy with the Lord on a daily basis. Tom, who was the Billy Graham you got to know? Oh, I, I would say he was the most humble man I had ever met. So selflessly um, biblical in the sense that the Bible says, die to self. He had literally died to self. And when young evangelists come to me and say, how can I become Billy Graham? And we have a lot of them, actually, because there's great interest in the legacy of his character and his integrity and his calling and his obedience. I just simply say, well, what's your name? And they'll tell me. And I'll, I'll say, if you really, truly want to be a modern-day Billy Graham, that man has to die. Mm. And the man I knew, Jesus flowed through him. Now, don't get me wrong, he was human. Well, so was the Lord when he emptied himself of his Godhead in heaven and came down here as a man. Uh, he lived for Christ. Uh, he was a man of the Word. He was a man of his Word. He was a man of obedience. Uh, he was a gentleman. He had a spirit far beyond the now. Uh, he was living in the present, but he understood what God was up to in the future. And um, I had five young Muslim men at the library a few years ago from Saudi Arabia, all engineering students here. Mm-hmm. And they went through. I met with them for about an hour and a half afterwards talking about faith and uh, the Lord. 
And I said, what really touched your heart as you went through the Billy Graham Library, which, by the way, is TripAdvisor number one in Charlotte and Religious Travel Attractions in America. It's been at the top for three years. He simply said, humility jumped off every wall. This is a young Muslim Saudi Arabian master's degree student from mm-hmm. University of Pennsylvania. Isn't that amazing? Mm. Fascinating. Well, as you plow in, as we plow in to ignite your passion for Jesus, uh, there's a, uh, a start here, and I want you to explain it to us. Sure. Be- beginning with brokenness. Uh, right. what, what does that mean, Tom? The Bible says that uh, only by pride or vanity comes contention and a haughty spirit before a fall. And um, throughout the history of revival, whether it was Korea or Europe, Scotland, Hebride Islands, America, there was a brokenness that occurred in the hearts of men and women where they themselves had to go to their knees and beg God to touch them. And if I may give an example, in 1857, um, America was about 30 million people on the East Coast, primarily to Kentucky, and then after Kentucky was wilderness, basically. And uh, we were doing great. I mean, we had good jobs. Our economy was strong. Uh, We were a fledgling but developing nation, and uh, we had basically forgotten God. We were so comfortable in who we are. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the Bible says, Beware that you don't forget God. But we had. And um, in the midst of that, there was a businessman named Jeremiah C. Lampier, and he was a layman. And uh, there was a church, a North Dutch church in New York City in an industrial area. They had um, no people really around it. They had moved away. The church needed somebody to run it. Um, It didn't have people coming on Sundays, and they had some endowment, and therefore they invited this young man to come. And so he just started going to the businesses. They all closed at lunch anyway for people to eat. And he said, "Let's, let's have prayer. And the first Wednesday at noon, he went up to the consistory building, second floor behind the church, and um, 12 o'clock to 12.30, nobody came. And he had put out thousands of handbills inviting people, which in that day was a lot of money because you had to print them one at a time. And at 12.30, one came. By 1 o'clock, uh, six had come. The next week, 14. The next week, 20. And within six months, every major secular and sacred building that had large auditoriums in New York City were full, and uh, with people praying for an hour at lunch, so much so that the editor of the New York newspaper sent a reporter around in horse and buggy and uh, had him count uh, 12 prayer meetings. That's all he could get to in one hour with horse and buggy, and he counted nearly 10,000 people praying. Now, the question is, why? Why did people go to their knees? Well, uh, there had been a bank collapse. And today we would probably call that a depression, and there were no social systems to back them up. Social Security, welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, none of that. And all of a sudden, this nation that was relying on self realized that there was uh, no economic backup, and they were hungry, and they couldn't pay their bills, and they went to their knees. Interestingly, I saw just two or three weeks ago I won't say which newspaper had a picture from Venezuela of a young lady kneeling at an altar, and the headline ran something like, when the economy falls, people fall on their knees to God. And it was a secular uh, paper, and that's what happened. So brokenness is when the human heart is so contrite that its pride or its vanity diminishes uh, to the point that they humble as Billy lived. They humble themselves, Mr. Graham. They humble themselves, and they look up. They look up and say, God, we need you. They literally cry out to God and say, please come. And it's called prayer. That's called prayer. R.A. Torrey, one of the great uh, pastors and preachers of the past, uh, said that there's never been a revival that didn't begin in concerted prayer. Matthew Henry said, when God intends great mercy, 
for his people. He first puts them to praying. So there's a brokenness that begins people communicating with God, and out of that he responds. Now, I want you to do this for us, Tom. Uh, Talk about the next topic, joy in true repentance. What's that mean? It's so wonderful. We all don't like to be convicted of being wrong. But when you walk in Jesus, you literally ask him to convict you of how you're different than he wants you to be, because you want to be like him. And the Bible defines God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as love. And um, often I'm not the loving person I need to be, and periodically I will pray, God, show me. So the word conviction means to see as God sees. And when you do that, you're convicted. And you say, God, I want to tell you that was wrong. Please forgive me. That's called confession, and that means to agree with God. Well, when you're convicted and when you're agreeing with God, then you want to turn to God in your life or turn from transgression, turn from sin, turn from that which is bad, and that's called repentance. Well, when that happens, there's something in the human spirit that breeds joy. Happiness is when good things happen to you, happenings. But joy is when everything's out of the way that holds you back from that intimate, loving, kind, deep relationship with the God of love. And, and, and you, you, just, you just become effusively full of joy. And when that happens to the church, one person at a time, to the kingdom of God, one person at a time, to the committed, one person at a time, the unsaved world, which has seen the church as bigoted or intolerant, all of a sudden they go, I want that joy. My, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> Dr. Tom Phillips is our guest talking about Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. We've got another segment with Tom here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Tom Phillips is in Charlotte, North Carolina, executive director of the Billy Graham Library, and we're talking about this new program that's about to pop here. It's called Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. Tom, explain to us the foundation of obedience. That's the next topic I want you to get into. Right. Um, Obedience. We all have parents. And uh, my father was a World War II veteran. Uh, My mother uh, grew up on a farm, and they were hard workers. Uh, They literally lived by the principles of God's Word, and sometimes I did not. And uh, they would say, well, here's a principle in your lifetime you need to follow that will help you. And if you're obedient, if you follow these principles that are good for you, you'll have a good life. So obedience can be um, something that we have to overcome our rebellion to do, which I did as a young person. And um, another side of that is respect. So when my father would say to me, son, I want you to do this chore before I get home today, uh, because he came from a disciplined background of the military, I knew, whether I liked it or not, that I needed to be obedient. (laughs) And, Pat, you may have had a dad like mine. If I weren't obedient, then, of course, I was disciplined, which made me obedient, and I didn't forget to do that. So when you have a loving God that gives you his word called the Bible, Mm -hmm. and it tells you how to live the very best life you can live, you're better off being obedient. And that's why I pray for conviction, (laughs) confession, and repentance, so I can honestly be obedient because I know he has the very best life planned for me from the womb. The Bible says God knows you in the womb. I saw that in Billy Graham's life, that obedience, and that's what God is calling his nation to today, one person at a time. Well, it's time now to move on, Tom. Prayer as relationship. Uh, Can you dig into that for us? Sure. Um, It was difficult for me to get through to a man who had spent time in a war. Uh, But when I had my father at those wonderful moments when he was uh, solemn and uh, comfortable, 
I could ask him about the things in my own life that I wanted to learn from him for growth. But our God is there all the time. And uh, when I was, uh, after surrendering and moving out of medicine to seminary, uh, I had a little church up in the uh, Indiana Hills. And a young drug addict in his high school years, about 17, had made a commitment to Jesus. His life had totally changed. And he was out telling about God's love every day after school, house to house, door to door, just telling people God loved them. And one day I said to him, how do you do that? He said, well, when I go home at the end of the day, I have been so inadequate. I have such a bad reputation. I go to my bedroom. I kneel by my bed, and I ask God, that's prayer. I ask God to help me go tell people that he loves them. And I just have this burden to tell people God cares. He's loving. He's merciful. He's gracious. So he had a reputation then of going but everywhere. I mean, he would just go door to door after school every day. And uh, he turned to me as I was asking him that question, and he said, Do you pray an hour a day? Now, I'm a, what, 21-year-old seminary student, college grad and all that, and here's this high school kid challenging me. And uh, I said, I pray. He said, you didn't answer my question. Do you pray an hour a day? Now, I'm in seminary. I'm taking a full load. I'm, I'm making A's, and I'm working hard. I'm working full-time. I've got a family. Lord help. I mean, I yeah, I pray, but an hour a day? Are you kidding me? I don't even get in the bed till 11 or 12.30 at night. And he, I said, no. He said, I challenge you to talk to God an hour a day. And I said, okay, I'll do it. He said, you've got to do it for six months. I said, okay, I'll do it. So here I am in this old house in Louisville, Kentucky, in the basement where my little study was. It wasn't much of a house. It wasn't much of a basement. And uh, at the end of studying um, on an old rough concrete floor, I would kneel. um, And I stayed there an hour a night, every night, regardless of when I finished, often way after midnight, sometimes falling asleep with my head on the concrete when I would have indentations from the rough rocks when I woke up. And I saw my life change. I saw the way I treated my wife change. I saw the way that I related to my God change. And it was all because I was simply stopping long enough in a very, very, very busy part of my life to give God, as I did my earthly father, the time he needed to change me. So prayer is just communicating. And if you're going to communicate, why not communicate with the best person possible, which is God Almighty, who loves you with all of his heart and gave his son for you. And he's there all the time. And it, it literally made me different. Uh, and, and I'm still different because of those months. And I, I have to say, and I can't go into the whole time now, it saved my marriage. Dr. Tom, became, yeah. Dr. Tom Phillips is with us. Uh, he's in Charlotte. We're talking about this program, Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. And, uh, Tom, I want you to explain the next concept. It's simply called Knowing Jesus. Uh, fill us in. Um, most of us have a few good friends. It's said that everybody can contain or utilize about 150 maximum acquaintances. Uh, that's come from the research from Facebook and other types of media. But most of us just have one, two, three, four really, really good friends. And um, as this uh, mystical experience of spiritual life has developed in my heart, Uh, I've found one person, his name is Jesus Christ, who is my best friend. I met him when I was eight years old. I knew he was real. Uh, He was not some figment of my imagination. I couldn't see him like I could physically see another person, but I could talk to him. He would talk back. I had an understanding. I had that spiritual time in prayer uh, in my seminary years, and um, he's never failed me. I can go to him and take any problem and put it into his little chest of answers, and I may not know the solution, but I've watched him work things out and give me rest in the midst of real struggles and uh, know that he's so powerful that all things, as the Bible says, all things do work together for good to those that love him 
and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And when you're living for his purpose and you're, as a human, just surrendering to him every day, and of course Billy Graham was a great, great model of that to me, um, it, it becomes a supernatural daily mystical experience, and you don't even know it. The Bible says pray without ceasing. How do you do that? How do you communicate when you're doing We work hard. You know, I've had the privilege of even organizing a country like Hungary uh, behind the Iron Curtain before the Berlin Wall fell, and we only had four months. We worked 10 to 15 hours every single day. Mm. But you but you can start your day in the Lord, and that, that communication is spiritual. You don't have to cut it off and on because your mind's off and on. God has you. And so prayer is far more than just mouthing words. It's, it's an emotive connection, a spiritual connection to God Almighty, who is love. And man, there's nothing like it. It just carries you all day long, every day. And when you mess up, which I do, he just convicts you, and you can confess right then, and you can turn back to him. It's like being on a freeway, and you get off, and you get right back on through the clover leaf, and you move on as fast as you were going before. You don't have to fool around and be guilty about it. You get it over with and confess it, and prayer is constant. Dr. Tom Phillips is our guest. Here's a topic for you, Tom. Revival within your gifts. Uh, Can you expand on that? Sure. Um, I think the Lord makes us as his children for the part he wants us to play. That's why the Bible says he knows you in the womb. And, uh, Pat, you know your history and all the work you've done in NBA and in sports. And you know that when you're working and you're gifting, you're the most fulfilled. The money can be there. It doesn't matter because you're where God made you to be. And uh, whenever you find that gifting, there's a rest in one spirit. Um, There are wonderful brothers and sisters I've met in the United States military. They don't make the most money by any any means. But you can see they were made to fly an F-15. They were made to be on a ship. They were made to lead and control men. You've met people. One of my friends, Johnny Musso, who used to play with Alabama, you can see Johnny was just made for football. That's where he was the most fulfilled. And uh, Wayne Atchison, you, you talked to me earlier about it, is, was the information officer for the Crimson Tide, one of my dearest friends. He was made to be in athletics but not necessarily playing the sport. He's too small, but he's a genius at details and facts. So when you find your gifting in the Lord, and uh, that, that just rests you. So many of my friends came out of the Jesus movement in the late 60s in California, and they were drug addicts. Mm. And now they're pastors of great churches around the nation. And there's just this humility that comes from, I know what I was, I know who made me what I am today, and I'm fulfilled in the gifting God has put in me. It's not mine. I steward it. I own nothing. This is from God. That's a powerful place for a person to be, Pat. Tom, I want to jump uh, towards the end of the book where it says one heart at a time. Uh, Explain that to us. What does that mean? Certainly. If our nation's going to change, and right now it's in many ways upside down, uh, whenever evil is good and good is evil and life is, is cheap and a lot of other things are going on that are contrary to God's Word. Someone asked me, how do you have a national, how does God instill a corporate revival? Well, honestly, he does it one heart at a time. I mean, how does a politician win by voting? He wins by one vote at a time. How do you build a brick mansion? You build it one brick at a time. And so when God is dealing with a society, whether it's a province, a state, a nation, he's dealing one heart at a time. He's so powerful that he can deal with us individually, and he can give us the same attention he does millions of other people if we'll just turn our hearts to him. And as a nation begins to, number one, realize there is God, and number two, go to God's Word to learn how to live, and number three, to tell others about this great God of love, and then the joy is seen, and then other people come in corporately the nation changes, but Pat, it changes one heart at a time because God made that heart. Tom, what do you want people to take from our chat here? That God is at work, 
in the United States of America. This is not something we're talking about going to happen. God has already heard our cry, and he is touching this nation, and especially I see it in young people. It's amazing. The Gen Z group, the young people 25 and under, their key word is purpose. If they're Christians, the key call is, I need a spiritual mother, I need a spiritual father. And I meet with these young people. I was just in Anaheim, California at the Hyatt in a Mission America meeting two months ago-ish in a room of 40 of these young people, and they are taking on the world. Mm. And they don't, they'll, they don't care what happens to them. They don't care if there's money there. They're going to tell people God loves them. And this is already coming out of the grass, and the media doesn't even see it. The media has no idea that God's at work like this, but, it, but he is. And it's going to spring forth in a way that no one can stop it like a tidal wave. Dr. Tom Phillips <clears throat> has been our guest from Charlotte, North Carolina, executive director of the Billy Graham Library and author of Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. Tom, a million thanks. Uh, good to visit with you. Pat, thank you for your time. Blessings to you and your listeners. We've got more after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Dr. Tom Phillips, our guest in that first segment. Uh, Ray Comfort joins us, founder and CEO of Living Waters. He's based in Southern California. Uh, His book is out. It's called Jesus in Red, looking deeper at the words of Jesus to understand him and his love for humanity. Ray, first of all, welcome. I'm uh, glad to catch up with you again. I hope things are well. Oh, very well. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me on the program, Pat. Ray, tell me the background of this book. What prompted you to put this together? Well, it's called Jesus in Red for a reason. We have fire engines, and we paint them red, stop signs red, um, exits in red. Any, anywhere we want to get people's attention, we use red. And we're copying off God because he made blood red, and when we see our blood spilled, it's, it's alarming. It gets our attention. And if anything deserves attention, it's the words of Jesus. Remember, the uh, Pharisees didn't like what he said, and they sent officers to arrest him. And they came back some uh, sometime later empty-handed, and they said, you're not deceived by him. And they said, never a man spoke like this man. Never a man said the, the things that this man said. And uh, so what I did is I put the words of Jesus in red, which is nothing new. I mean, we've got red-letter Bibles. But this is different in that I took out the surrounding words like, and he said unto him, whatever Jesus said. We took out those words so we could concentrate solely on the words of Jesus. And obviously, we encourage people outside the devotion to read their Bibles, read the words in context. But you think of his words, they're absolutely incredible, like, marvel not of this, for the hour is coming when all that are in their graves shall hear my voice. He was saying of the billions and billions of people that have been born and died, every single one of them is going to be raised from the grave by his voice. Either Jesus was absolutely insane or he is God manifest in the flesh. So I have a secret agenda. I, uh, I've got a deep concern that people are going to hell. And so throughout this devotional uh, 365 days, I've uh, threaded in, our moral responsibility uh, uh, to reach out to the lost and equip people to do so at the same time. Ray, I'm going to give you a topic. Uh, You expand on it for us. Um, From Luke 6, 26, preaching truth in love, and in red, woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Uh, Can you take it from there? Yeah, yeah. Our our message is offensive. Uh, We've got to realize that. And the way to get it across is to speak to sinners in love. And the way to do that is get the message right. Jesus didn't come to fill a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of sinners. He didn't come to heal marriages, help drug problems, help alcohol problems. He came to give us righteousness so that we'd be saved from God's wrath on the day of judgment. That's the reason Christ came. And we've skewed the message. We've changed it. And uh, what it's done is it's taken the alarm out of the reason that people should come to Christ. So I've learned that if you do what Jesus did 
and address the conscience rather than the intellect, that it will resonate with a sinner. In Mark 10, verse 17, a young man came running to Jesus, knelt down, and said, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here we have a man who was earnest. He ran to Jesus. He knelt down. He was humble. He complimented Jesus. He said, Good Master. And he asked the question that we're all long to be asked by the world, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So what did Jesus do? Well, he reproved the man. He told him off. He said, There's none good but God. And the reason for this is that non-Christians have no idea of God's righteousness. Proverbs says, most every man will proclaim his own goodness. So if you ask any non-Christian, do you think you're a good person? They'll say, oh, yes, I'm a very good person. And they do this because they're ignorant of God's righteousness. And then what Jesus did is he did something that modern evangelism wouldn't dare to do. He gave them five of the Ten Commandments. So why did he do that? Why didn't he talk about the love of God and the cross and repentance and all these other things? It's because, Romans tells us, by the law is the knowledge of sin. That moral law shows us the righteousness of God so we might see the need of a Savior. And so when a sinner understands that you're not trying to improve his life, that you're warning him that he's in terrible danger, that if he dies in his sins, he'll get justice from God and end up in hell, and he understands that because the law brings the knowledge of sin, then he realizes the motive for you Talking to him like this isn't one of proselytization. It's one of a deep, loving concern for his eternal welfare. And that changes everything in your personal witness. Now, Ray, let's get to this one. Committing ourselves to God, Luke 6, 29, to him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Uh, Can you run with that one for us? Yeah, I, I think it's a wonderful witness when someone slaps you on the face that you don't smack him in the teeth. Um, what you do is you commit yourself to him that judges righteously. We don't not hit back because we're wimps. We hold back because we want to do that which is right. We commit ourselves to him who judges righteously. I've been beaten up for preaching the gospel. It was actually my fault. A woman beat me up. Uh, I was in Santa Monica, Third Street Promenade, many years ago on a Friday night. I had a crowd of about 40 when a woman used the F word twice mm. in referring to me. And I said, Madam, can you watch your language? There are ladies present. And that really got her upset. She says, I'm a lady. I said, Madam, you may be a woman, but you're not a lady. And with that, she ran at me like a bat out of heaven and started beating me up like she was Mike Tyson's sister. Uh. She got six punches, six punches in before the, my team pulled her off. Then she said, let me get my handbag, and they let her go, and she got on a kidney punch. It took two weeks for the bruising to go down, but I didn't hit her back. I didn't defend myself, and good came out of it because my crowd doubled, and I was able to preach to them. And so I think it's a—and it's a, and God, will, God will get her back if he sees the need to. So that's my consolation. I'm not talking about not defending your family. I'm just talking about when you're preaching the gospel, when you're witnessing that someone gets upset at you, show them love. Love your enemies. Do good to those that despitefully use you and persecute you. And that's worth a thousand thousand sermons. Ray Comfort is with us from Southern California. Uh, His book is called Jesus in Red. Uh, Extending mercy, Luke 7, 47. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Uh, Tell us about that one, Ray. Yeah, you know, I'm very, very zealous for evangelism. I care about the lost, and every day for the last 48 years, I've not only prayed uh, for God to use me, I've spoken up for the gospel, preached the gospel many thousands of times on a soapbox. And the reason I'm loving is because I've been forgiven so much. I realize what I've been forgiven. And so if you've got a shallow understanding of God's mercy towards you, you'll have a shallow love back for his mercy because you don't see it as being very great. And it all comes back to having a knowledge of sin. If I ask most Christians, do you think you're a good person? Quite a few would say, well, I'm basically a good person. I'm not too bad. Well, I would disagree with that. I would say you're very bad and you just don't understand it from God's point of view. And I take them through the commandments, as Jesus said, and Mark 10, verse 17, as Paul did in Romans chapter 2, when he said, You who say you shall not steal, do you steal? You who say you shall not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? God considers lust 
to the adultery. Matthew uh, 5, 27, 28. If you lust after a woman, God says, you are committing adultery in your heart. If you hate someone, if you hate your brother, the Bible says you are a murderer. If you lie even once, doesn't matter what color you consider the lie to be, the scriptures say lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, and lying is so serious to God, the Bible says all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. If you take something that belongs to another person, irrespective of its value, you know, if you take a dollar out of my wallet, you're as much a thief as if you took a hundred dollars out. If you take one thing that belongs to another person, you're a thief, including downloading music off the internet. It's not yours, not paying your taxes, not paying your tithes to God. All these things combined show us that we're lying, thieving, adulterers at heart, murderers at heart. And if you've ever used God's name in vain, even lightly, like OMG, you've taken God's name and used it as a cuss word. And I'd ask you, have you ever used your mother's name as a cuss word? Would you ever do that? Most people say, oh, no, that would disrespect her. And yet, by using God's name, you've taken his holy name, that godly Jews won't even speak, and used it in the place of a four-letter filth word to express disgust. It's called blasphemy and punishable by death in the Old Testament. So when we go through the, the law like that, the conscience bears witness. We all have a knowledge, a God-given knowledge of right and wrong that shows us that sin is exceedingly sinful. And then we, when we look to the cross and see that Christ redeems us from the curse of the law, suddenly the love of God is magnified, his mercy is magnified, and you realize what you've been forgiven in Christ, and that produces a love for God that will overlook your fears so you desire to do his will and reach out to the unsaved. Ray, I want you to talk to us about denying self. Luke 9.23 says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, Discuss that for us. Yeah. um, Shakespeare said, Flee ambition, for by such sin fell the angels. Ambition will consume you, it will consume your family, and it will get you off in a tangent running after that which doesn't matter on the day of judgment. Um, when you become a Christian, you have a personal Gethsemane experience. You say, not my will, but yours be done. And so being a Christian means that you no longer live for yourself, you live for God and you live for others. You also take up your cross daily and deny yourself. And by that, you do yourself a huge favor. Take, for instance, the appetite. Every day, my refrigerator calls out my name. I could eat any time, day or night, 24 hours a day. I have no problems waking up at 2 a.m. in the morning and making myself a huge sandwich and putting in a to- and toasting in a sandwich toaster and consuming it. I could eat all the time. But I don't because I know there's this monster in me that if I let loose, will consume me, and we have a nation that's lost self-control. We have a nation that's been given to its appetites, whether they be lust or for food, and it's destroying people. You know, God gives us rules for a reason. He gives us rules for sex. We have a nation that's given to uh, sexual sin, whether it be pornography, homosexuality, adultery, fornication. And yet God gave us rules for sex in the same way we have rules for football. If you forsake rules in football, you're going to get chaos. If you forsake rules on the road, you're going to get chaos and death. And the rules that God has given with sex is guard your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. You be careful of your heart, be careful of your eyes, because they'll lead you into sin. So self-control does you a great favor. Holding on to those appetites, whatever they're for, does you a great favor and protects you because they're God's rules in this rule book. Sex within the bounds of marriage, when it comes to food, hold on to that monster because it will destroy you. So all these things are given for our admonition and, our, and for our benefit and our good. Now, <clears throat> I want you to discuss passing judgment. John seven twenty four. do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Uh, run with that one for us, Ray. Yeah, so often we hear non-Christians say, judge not least to be judged. Just the other day, a non-Christian, as I was taking them through the commandments, says, don't forget, the Bible says, thou shalt not judge. I said, no, it doesn't. It doesn't thou shalt not judge. It's not a commandment. Jesus said to his disciples, 
Thanks for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, uh, Dr. Tom Phillips was with us uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, talking about his book, Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. And then we went out to Southern California and found Ray Comfort, founder and CEO of Living Waters, and uh, he spoke about his book, Jesus in Red. Uh, I do want to let you know that uh, my latest book is out. It is called Lead Like Walt, and we take a good look at Walt Disney and uh, what it was that made him such an outstanding leader. And, uh, of course, if you live in Orlando, Central Florida, it's important to know about Walt Disney because he's probably the main reason that we all live here. Well, we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. And have a wonderful week ahead, and we'll see you next weekend. In love and in kindness, because if we don't, if we don't use the commandments to bring the knowledge of sin, they won't repent, they won't trust in the Savior, and they'll perish on the day of judgment, and that should horrify us. Ray Comfort is our guest from Southern California. Uh, We're talking about his book, Jesus in Red. We've got another segment with Ray, so stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word, in Orlando. Ray Comfort is in Southern California. We're talking about his new book, Jesus in Red, Ray, uh, recognizing our value as his creation, and uh, in red, it's Luke 12, 6 and 7, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Uh, I want you to teach us on that one. You know, sparrows are amazing creatures. I I see them all the time because what I've done is I've put uh, reflective glass on the outside of our windows so when sparrows gather around to eat food we put out there, they can't see us looking at them. So we get a lot of different birds uh, outside our windows eating food, not being scared away by us coming up close and getting impersonal. Um, one thing I've noticed about sparrows is they all look the same. I've seen probably thousands of them, and I could not tell one sparrow from another. I can tell male from female in that respect. And the Bible says God knows every single one of them. And the reason we know this is because every single feather is made by God. Every atom that makes up its eyes, its little brain, its wings, its bones, its feet. God created the atoms, and he's intimately familiar with every single one of them. And the Bible says if God is familiar with every sparrow and he falls with it when it falls, how much more is he familiar with you and I? He knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows the thoughts of our hearts. He sees darkness as pure light. And if we're Christians and our sins are forgiven, that should greatly comfort us, which it should because that's the context of what is being said. But if we're not Christians, to know that God sees our thought life, to know that God is intimately familiar with everything we think about and everything we've done in darkness should put the fear of God in us and bring us to the foot of the cross. But for the Christian, it's a great comfort, great consolation that God knows the path I take. He knows the words that I speak. He knows exactly what I want, my deepest desires. And the scriptures say, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And it's very important to look at scriptures like that and not say, oh, I want a Mercedes. I want bigger, better, more. I want a bigger house, thicker carpet. No, no, that's not what it's talking about. If you're crucified with Christ and your nature has been transformed and you've got a renewed mind, your will will be the same as God's will. And your deepest desire above everything else was that the gospel might be taken to unsaved people. They might be saved on the day of judgment. So when you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you your heart's desires and use you to reach the lost. And that should be a priority for every single Christian because God's love dwells within us. Ray, um, you have made this statement. My prayer is that with each day, you grow hungrier for God's Word. 
How do we do that? How do we go about that? Well, as a matter of discipline, you know, for every day, uh, for the last 48 years, I've read God's Word without fail. Not one day have I missed in 48 years. And I thought every Christian did that until one day, probably 45 years ago, I asked the church, how many of you read God's Word every day without fail? And about 5% put up their hands. And I was horrified. I said, what is going on? Now, some people read the Bible every second day. And, you know, I meet Christians, and I say, you're reading your Bible daily? And they'll say something like this. I try to. So I say to them, oh, do you try to feed your stomach every day? You don't try to. You just do because you prioritize it. And that's what we need to do with God's Word, because Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth fruit in season, his leaf won't wither, and whatever he does will prosper. That's not the prosperity in the sense of prosperity preachers. That means your marriage, your vocation, your evangelistic endeavors. God wants to bring prosperity, and the way to do that is to fulfill the requirements of Psalm 1 and meditate on God's Word daily. And I'm not talking about reading Leviticus before you get out of bed. That'll give you indigestion. I'm talking about just chewing over the words of Jesus. Uh, look, looking at a few psalms, thinking about them, meditating on them, chewing them over, absorbing them into your body, into your soul, into your spirit in that sense, and letting them energize you during the day. And that gives you the, the right to stand on the foundation of that promise that God will bless everything you do because of the fact you're putting his word first, you're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Ray, <clears throat> how does one develop a passion for souls uh, that you model so dramatically every day? Well, another word for evangelism is love. I love what Charles Spurgeon said about evangelism. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. My evangelism and my zeal for the lost is a matter of my will. You think about a firefighter. He's not emotional when he stands in front of a house that's uh, on flames. He doesn't wait for feelings to motivate him. He just runs into those flames because he knows he has a moral duty. He's a firefighter. And if you and I consider our, ourselves to have the love of God within us, then we should run to the ungodly. We should reach out to them. We should be pleading with them, as Paul did, warning every man who may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. You know, I have a problem with fear. I continually see Goliath when people are just as Zacchaeus, but I, I have to control those fears. And the analogy I use when I'm speaking to Christians is to say, would you ever jump into a pond that was three feet deep and filled with huge chunks of ice to the point where if you were in there for three minutes, you would die. It's that cold. You say, no, never. So what's your what's a three-year-old boy found on that pond and he was drowning? You wouldn't hesitate. You'd forget about your fears, the worries about it being cold, because love will do that. And the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. So if you have a problem with fear when it comes to reaching out to the lost, don't pray for less fear. Pray for more love, because that's the problem. Ray Comfort is our guest. Ray, I'm fascinated uh, with your birth and your life in New Zealand. Uh, how did you get to the United States? What brought you here? It was a 747. Uh-huh. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, I was in Hawaii uh, teaching back in the mid-1980s, late-1980s, and a pastor from California sat in the teaching, and he heard what I said, and he disagreed at first, but he opened his Bible as he flew back to California and he realized what I was saying was biblical, and we'd forsaken the principles of biblical evangelism. So he began calling me in New Zealand and said, would you please come across to the U.S. and uh, share this teaching with the church? And we prayed about it, and um, in a, about three days, at the time of three days, about 13 very, very strange things happened. To convince us, it was in God's will. So we came across to the U.S. Uh, this church hosted us. Uh, gave us a, a, a home which they paid for the rent. And for three, di- three years, things were very quiet until I received a call from a well-known minister who had heard the teaching. He flew me to San Jose, filmed it in front of a thousand pastors, and then screened that video 
to 30,000 pastors. In the same year, David Wilkerson called from New York, said he had heard the teaching called Hell's Best Kept Secrets, which people can hear on our <coughs> website, livingwaters.com. Living and uh, he had heard that teaching, flew me to New York, where I shared the teaching with, uh, with his church, and those two ministries publicized it, and it opened up a, a wonderful doors for us to share the principles of biblical evangelism. And then from there, Kirk Cameron, uh, the actor, listened to Hell's Best Kept Secrets, and uh, he called me and uh, wanted to combine ministries. And from there, uh, a well-known television network asked us to make a program called The Way of the Master Expounding These Principles. And we're now in our fifth season. Uh, it goes to uh, 190 countries. And I look back and just think, wow, God took this little nobody from nowhere, a little um, somebody from a country that filled the sheep with God kind of likes doing, and uh, did some wonderful things, and I'm very humbled by it. Ray, I'm so glad that we could uh, connect here. I've always admired you uh, from afar and in person, and uh, this latest work that you've done is really, really valuable. Jesus in Red. Get the book, folks, and uh, it'll make a difference in your life. Ray Comfort has been our guest. Thanks a million, Ray, and all the very best to you. Thank you, Pat. God bless you. Uh, you're listening, folks, uh, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour uh, we gather every weekend just like this on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And always so pleased when you join us. Uh, we've got a wrap-up right after these messages. So stay with us, and uh, we'll put a big ribbon on the whole show here. Thanks for joining us, folks, here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, uh, Dr. Tom Phillips was with us. Uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, talking about his book, Ignite Your Passion for Jesus. And then we went out to Southern California and found Ray Comfort, founder and CEO of Living Waters, and uh, he spoke about his book, Jesus in Red. Uh, I do want to let you know that uh, my latest book is out. It is called Lead Like Walt, and we take a good look at Walt Disney. And uh, what it was that made him such an outstanding leader. And, uh, of course, if you live in Orlando, Central Florida, it's important to know about Walt Disney because he's probably the main reason that we all live here. Well, we'll be back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned all day long to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. In Orlando, and have a wonderful week ahead, and we'll see you next weekend.